So that is this fellow by the name of Paul, and we're going to get stuck into one of his letters, one of my favorites, called the book of Colossians. So if you've got a Bible with you, you might like to open up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 15. Colossians 1 is, in fact, one of the greatest exaltations, one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus Christ in the entire Bible. Uh, He's writing to a city, a little city by the name of Colossae. Can you say Colossae? It's in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Paul had never actually been there. Quite often the letters that Paul wrote were to churches that he himself had founded, but he is writing from jail. So just like in our little cartoon, Paul at this time is writing towards probably the end of his life and he's in prison in Rome. He's writing a letter from jail because he loves Jesus so much and won't stop talking about Jesus. Now, the trouble is the church in Colossae that he had founded had started to go off the rails a little bit. They'd started to to believe some false doctrines. They'd started off well, but they began mixing in some pagan beliefs in with their Christianity. They started mixing in some secular philosophy, some worldly wisdom and importing it into their Christian faith. And so they were being blown around this way and that by secular strategies of self-improvement, much like today. I think the church today is also in danger of being blown around this way and that by importing stuff of the world and and diluting our our faith in Christ. So later on, uh, we won't hear it today, but for example, in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the spirits of this world and not according to Christ. So that's the context here. Paul is writing to this church, trying to correct them, trying to bring them back onto the, onto the true path. And so he hopes that this wonderful exaltation of Jesus Christ uh, will be like a, a vaccine almost, like a theological vaccine that's going to inoculate them against this disease of, of, of watering down their faith, of this Christ diminishing of of Christ's distorting error. So he pens this amazing piece of literature. It is, in fact, a letter that we're reading. It is important when you're reading these New Testament books to realize that they are, in fact, letters to interpret them that way. He pens this amazing, uh, clarifying, exalting letter that lifts up Jesus as being the very image of the invisible God. So let's have a look. It's chapter 1, verses 15. We're going to read through uh, to about verse 23. So just a little section but I hope it whets your appetite to know more of this wonderful book of Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, that is the church. And he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have supremacy. Everybody say supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile 
to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Wow, powerful stuff. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, loving and gracious God, thank you for this amazing letter, this amazing message to your church. We pray this morning that we may own it for ourselves, that we may take hold of it, that we may grab hold with two hands its wonderful truths. Father, we pray that you might help us to apply it in our lives this week. So Father, may I decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the, and the people said... Amen. I'm somewhat amazed and saddened by the extent to which our society has become so very image conscious. I think it's always been the way we human beings have always wanted to put our best foot forward. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, wanting to present ourselves well. But I do think in this, this current age, we've become incredibly image obsessed. If you were here with us at our uh, going on deeper night, uh, dealing with the the, the side effects of the COVID pandemic, you would have heard uh, Carly talk about the extent to which our young people are using social media and not just presenting a nice flattering picture of themselves, but in fact altering their appearance to present to the world. Now I thought, because I'm getting a bit long in the tooth these days, that a filter was just something you put on your camera to make it look sort of blue or yellow. That's not what the young people are doing these days. They can actually change their appearance to make themselves look different. And, and it's, it's incredibly sad, I think, we become so incredibly image conscious, that we are so incredibly uh, keen to make sure that we, that we present what is in actual fact a, a false view of, of ourselves. As followers of Jesus Christ, however, on our journey of Christian discipleship, uh, the image that we are called to pursue is not one of our own glory. The image that we're called to be conscious of isn't of ourselves, but in fact, of God himself. We are called to grow in godliness, in Christ-likeness. That is our job as followers of Jesus Christ. In one place, the Bible even goes so far as to say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? One that we're not likely to achieve this side of eternity, perfection, but it is nevertheless what we should be working towards, aiming towards, leaning into, is to becoming godlike, to be perfect as much as we possibly can be. But in order to do that, I think we need to have an image of our, in our head of what, in fact, God is like. If we're to pursue God, we need to know what it is is that this God is like? What are some of God's characteristics? We can't work towards something without knowing what it is that we're working towards. 
So, for example, if you go down to your local gym, uh, you'll see blokes working out trying to present the positive body image. It used to be when I was growing up that it was particularly the girls who were body conscious. Now it's, it's the young fellas as well, and they're in the gym pumping iron, taking steroids, getting injections. Even the blokes are working out day and night in the gym to be looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Pete Chapman or Sylvester Stallone. Try just making sure you're all listening. Zac Efron for the young people, I think, maybe. I don't know. But they all have an image in their mind. The reason I mean they all have something in their mind that they're working towards, don't they? They're trying to work towards something. Um, but it's not just physical attributes that I think we should be working towards. It's not just physical attributes that even the world is working towards, is it? Do you remember the song uh, Cats in the Cradle? I think it was, was it Cat Stevens, I think. Who was it? I'll take your word for that, Robin. And by the way, Robin, thank you so much for our beautiful band. Doesn't that look spectacular? Wonderful example of someone using God's gifts uh, to build up and equip the church. Thank you. But yes, I think that it was remade in the 90s, I think. Cats in the Cradle. You know the song. The young son has an image in his head. He knows, I'm going to be like who? Like you, Dad. He says, I'm going to be one day, I'm going to be like you. And Sadly, in that case, to the father's dismay, the child actually does end up becoming like his father. So, if our goal as Christians is indeed to grow not towards having a body like Arnie or to not have a spectacular career, our goal as Christians is to be like God. And, and I sincerely hope that that is, in, is the case. But we need an image of God in our head to work towards. And I do want to clear up a, a brief misunderstanding before it, it develops. I'm not saying that you need to have a perfectly clear image in your mind until you start. So often I hear people think, well, I, I, this thing called church, Pete, and you've been going to church all your life and you're a minister and you know this, like, I can't. Don't wait until you achieve perfection before you start. You don't need to wait until you have a complete picture begin your journey following Jesus. You can start making progress today. You can respond with what you do know of God and fill in the gaps in, your, in the image of God. They'll be filled in as you go. So don't ever allow yourself to become deflated um, simply because you blew it somewhere along the line or because you think somehow you don't measure up and so you're not even going to try. Every little aspect of humility and godliness, little every act of service counts and blesses the people around you. And we as a church need you. God has gifted each one of you with a particular set of gifts that we need as a church family if we to live up to our calling of bringing people uh, into a likeness of, of Christ. So how do we gain this image of God? Uh, where do we find it? Well, we've all picked up different images of God in our head. Not all of them are, are helpful. Some people have a very warped view in their head, don't they? You've all got that image in, in your head of this bearded old angry guy throwing lightning bolts down at sinners. Now, it's a bit of a cartoon caricature, but you know what? I actually think a lot of people out there think like that. I really do. I really think a lot of Aussies have this image of God in their head as an angry being counting up sins, tallying sins, ready to punish them when his time comes. That's, 
That's not the God that I know. Amen? Another mistaken identity, I think, of God in heaven is sort of the other extreme of a really sort of nebulous, sort of touchy, feely sort of life force with no real interest in my life at all. He's just sort of doing God's things. He's, he's sort of just out there sort of dealing with things far above my pay grade. God's got bit of, bigger things to worry about than me. He's got world peace to sort of. A lot of people think that, yes, there is a God, but he's not interested in, in, in me. Or that image of, sadly, even some churches are telling you, you know, you'll see it early on a Sunday morning if you're up early enough. You just got to live your, God just wants you to live your best life now. Follow your dreams. Be yourself. He wants me to be me. He just wants me to be happy. That's not true either. So these images of God, as well as many others, I reckon, are wide of the mark and they distort the God of heaven and earth. But our reading today from Colossians 1 paints by far one of the best pictures of what it is to be godly. It starts very saying very clearly that if we want an image of God to look to, then we have one. That it is Jesus who provides us with the very image of the invisible God. Very profound statement, that one. Jesus is the very image of an invisible God. Now, it might seem obvious to many of us who've been coming here to church for a few years, but I want to pause for a moment and just reflect on just how radical that is. Friends, this is one of the most radical statements ever written down. I want to know what the creator of the cosmos is like. Look to this person, Jesus of Nazareth. This is radical stuff. This is the thing that distinguishes the Christian faith from just about every other religion in the world. Jesus Christ, this first century Palestinian peasant, this son of a, of a carpenter, of, of a tradie, who lived a seemingly irreligious life by the standards of his day, who was born in, let's face it, some pretty disreputable circumstances, who died a criminal's death, didn't really travel very far, at least not by modern standards, never wrote a book. We believe that this Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. The message translation, which is a, uh, like a common everyday colloquial kind of uh, translation of the Bible or, or a paraphrase, puts it this way. It says, we look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. When we look to Jesus the Son, we see the God who cannot be seen. No other of the world's major faiths claims that we can see the image of God in human form. In fact, it's actually a fairly blasphemous thing to say. It's a blasphemous reduction of God to claim that when we look to a man in, in Jesus of in Nazareth that we actually see God. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to describe some of the features of this Christ who is the very image of the invisible God and who we should be seeking to emulate. It's not an exhaustive description, but I think it's a great start for us this morning. So I want to give you three little things that we can take away and apply in our life this week that Paul mentions here that are attributes of Jesus Christ that show us what God is like so that we can then go away and emulate it. Firstly, he talks about creativity in verse 16. That's the first one. 
We worship a creative God in verse 16. Paul tells us that Christ is the firstborn of all creation and that through him all things, whether on heaven or on earth, were created by him and through him and for him. This is radical stuff. God's creativity is not, well, I best I better make something today. No, he's, God is a joyful creator. God is an exuberant, passionate creator. He's an artist pouring himself out into the act of creation. Then in verse 17, Paul talks about Jesus being our sustainer. Jesus is the sustainer of what he has created. He says that in all things, hold together in Christ. Again, this is a pretty remarkable image when you think about it. The more you think about it, the more radical this becomes. Jesus is the power of cohesion in the universe. The first image of creation. Think back to creation. We studied Genesis earlier in the year. The very first image in creation is of God bringing form out of chaos. God creating and bringing, out, bringing structure and form out of, out of chaos. And this image of Christ is one of Jesus actually holding everything from descending back into chaos. Just pause and think about that for a moment. If Christ's sustaining spirit were withdrawn from the cosmos, the very structure of matter itself would just cave in on itself. Or perhaps we can think of this sustaining power also in terms of relationships. We often talk of relationships needing the maintenance, don't we? We often talk of a friendship. Yeah, what sort of a friend are you if you never actually make any effort to speak to them? Right? Friendships actually require some time and some effort to maintain, and the more intimate a relationship is, the more that that will be true. Of course, a marriage is going to take a lot more work to sustain than the relationship you've got with your old schoolmates that you only see once a year at the school reunion. Jesus is the force that holds these things together. He is the one that makes it possible for our togetherness here at church in the marketplace to exist. I'm looking out on you at the moment. You're a fairly diverse mob. The only thing holding this place together is Jesus Christ, amen. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a glorious thing? Many of you would be aware of situations in the church where a much-loved minister leaves or gets hit by the 400 bus or something, and the church falls apart, the church struggles because it was really only him that was holding the thing together. If I get hit by the 400 bus tomorrow, I'd be disappointed if ministries here start to fall apart. It should never be dependent upon the minister. Jesus is the one holding the church together. It should never be like that. Also, it is indeed my job to be encouraging and equipping the body of Christ. Jesus himself should be the sustaining, cohesive force within our congregation. It is in Christ that all things hold together. Many people think that, that you know, God is, is somewhere distant, that he's, he's, he's out in the cosmos looking after the big stuff. We call this word transcendent in the theological that We worship a transcendent God, a God is beyond, beyond our ability to understand, dealing with the, the big stuff beyond my pay grade, like I said. And that is certainly true. That is, that is part of God. He's dealing with the big stuff. He's transcendent beyond our ability to conceive. But you know what? He's 
he's also incredibly close. He's also intimately involved with holding every aspect of your being together. He knows and he cares. I want you to know this morning that every cell in your body, millisecond by millisecond, is being held together by Christ. Remove Jesus and everything begins to just simply fall apart, tear itself apart. So Jesus is the creative force. He's the sustaining force in our life. Thirdly and finally, after saying that Jesus is the head of, of the church and that again affirming that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, in, in verse 19, the passage then describes Jesus as our reconciler. Christ is the image of God that seeks to restore all that is damaged, all that is broken, all that is hurting. Jesus comes and brings restoration. All that which has become in some way separated from the creative, sustaining, life-giving relationship with God Jesus came to reconcile all of it back into right relationship with God. And note that it doesn't simply say here all people. It doesn't just say he restores all people. It says all things. People and families, yes. Ethnic groups here in Australia. We talk about reconciliation having a particular meaning for us. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to be part of that That. that that effort to, for reconciliation, but more than that. What I find intriguing and amazing and praiseworthy is that this is more than simply we humanity. It's all of creation. Every animal, the mountains and the trees, all of creation, the means of production, every political and economic system, the realities that shape our life as we know it. Jesus has come to restore all that is broken, to reconcile every broken relationship back to himself. It's a radical picture, again, if you start to unpick it, when you think of creation. There was no death. It was sort of like a, a vegan paradise. I'm not a vegan, but in, in Genesis, it does appear as though there was no killing and no pain. It talks, doesn't it, in, in other places of Scripture, of the child playing by the hole of the asp. How does that work? or that the calf eating with the leopard, or the lion laying down with the lamb. Radically different rules of nature is what we can look forward to when Jesus brings reconciliation to all things. And what does he use as his example? He uses you for what it means to be reconciled. He says you, you were once estranged and hostile in mind. He says you were enemies in your minds, because of your evil behavior in verse 21. Pretty powerful language, isn't it? This word estranged or enemies, this is powerful language. Not particularly nice to think about, but that is what Paul is saying. We use this sort of language for a breakdown of a, of a marriage, don't we? Of a husband or a wife, if they're estranged, they're no longer in relationship with each other or tragically maybe an adult child with their parents. They become estranged. They're, they're no longer in relationship, sadly. Paul's saying this is our state before God. Let that sink in for a moment. But the good news here 
is that through Jesus Christ, he has reopened the lines of communication. Reconciliation is now made possible. And Christ presents you, it says in verse 22, what is, how does he present us in verse 22? He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Listen to this. Without blemish. Wow. Wouldn't you like to be without blemish? I'd love to be without blemish. Free from accusation. What good news. Totally clean, beyond reproach. There is no accusation that can stick to you if you are in Christ. Praise God. You can stand holy and blameless and irreproachable if you are in Jesus Christ and accepted for yourself this wonderful reconciling death that he has brought you. So that then, in a nutshell, is this image of God that Paul says that Jesus demonstrates for us, that he embodies for us. Jesus is God incarnate, God in skin. Now, he is the, the human face of the creating, sustaining, and reconciling God. There is, of course, much more we could say about the attributes of God. Paul didn't know Jesus during his earthly ministry. Paul only met the risen Christ. So it doesn't talk a lot about Jesus' earthly ministry. You can read about that for yourself through all the Gospels. The Gospels are, by the way, um, by far the most uh, historically reliable um, writings to find out what Jesus was, was like. These Gospels, together with other writings of Paul, which, by the way, predate the Gospels, uh, are, are, are very historically accurate. The other ancient texts can only dream having the sort of historicity that the New Testament does. We can read the New Testament and look to Jesus and get a very accurate picture of who God is by looking to Jesus Christ. So, this week, friends, if you want to be more like God, if you want to grow into maturity in Christ, if you want to be a people who are creative, trying new things, producing something new. It's the job of the church. Each week here on a Sunday, we create something. We, we make something new. We beam it out to the world. We're to be nurturing relationships of peace and hope who seek to ensure the stability of this world and all of its inhabitants. We look to sustain this world. That's why we are part, as followers of Jesus Christ, should be keen to preserve this world, to be part of the effort to sustain the planet that God has put us on. We're also to be a reconciling people, a people who are willing to go out on a limb and even suffer ourselves, if need be, to ensure that the integrity of creation is restored, that all things might be brought back into right relationship with God. This is the aim that we commit ourselves to, Towards the very end of this passage, we didn't hear it, but in verse 28 and 29, Paul concludes this section by saying, the purpose of our life as followers of Jesus is to proclaim this Jesus. He says we're to admonish and to teach everyone so that eventually they might come before God mature in Christ. The value of this church family, and indeed every church family, will not be judged by the the beauty of our church's architecture or the effectiveness of our air conditioning, the comfiness of the seats or the 
even the, the beauty of our singing or the tastiness of our morning tea, as important as all those things are, that's not actually what we're going to be judged on. As important as those things are, our success as a church family will be measured by our ability to encourage and enable all people to grow to maturity in Christ, to grow in Christ-likeness, to be a creating, creative, a sustaining and a reconciling people. Let's get into it this week. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this little insight, this wonderful passage, this inspiring passage of Scripture this morning. Father, we pray for your help to indeed be like Christ, to be Christ-like in word and in deed this week. Thank you, Father, that you've given us Jesus Christ and that we, when we look to him, we can see you, Father. We say thank you that you're not just some concept, you're not some nebulous concept. You came and you broke into human history in the form of a man. Father, we pray for your help this week to be creative forces in our society, be putting something new out there, not simply be relying on what was, but to be generating something new, to sing a new song this week. Help us to be a sustaining influence, sustaining and preserving all that is good in this world. Father, whether it be sustaining the ecology of this planet, Father, whether it be sustaining right relationships, preserving relationships, preserving the church, preserving all that is beautiful and good, Father. Help us to see opportunities to do just that this week. And help us to be a reconciling force in the world. Father, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. So help us to be reconciling this broken world this hurting world that is in pain and anguish. Help us to be proclaiming Christ as the way back into right relationship with you, Lord. Empower us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, this week to go out to be your creative, sustaining, reconciling hands in this world. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen. 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 Am